This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. I hope you're having a happy new year. Today on the podcast, my guest is Sarah Levy. She is a writer and the author of the book Drinking Games, which is a memoir and essays that explores the role alcohol has in our formative years and what it means to opt out of a culture completely enmeshed in drinking. Okay, Sarah has been featured on Good Morning America, the Los Angeles Times, the New York Post, BuzzFeed, Apple Books, Pure Wow, the best of lists in Glamour, Goodreads, Amazon, and more. And in this podcast episode, she talks about her story with alcohol and why she decided to give it up. She's now six years sober. She's the new mom. She's a three-month-old baby. We do kick off the conversation with some new motherhood talk. My heart just went out to her so much because those first three months as a new mom, game changer, life changer. If you are there, let me just speak to you right now. You're doing it and you got this. And it just keeps getting better. I promise you that. Uh, so we talk about new mom stuff. We talk about alcohol and culture. And if you've been listening to this for a while, this podcast, you probably know I am super interested in the sober community. I am a drinker myself and have a not what I would call my favorite relationship ever with alcohol. I'm constantly trying to cut back and here we are in dry January. I know a lot of people are doing dry January and thinking about cutting back. And so I thought this is a good time of year for a conversation like this. Okay. So I hope that you learned something and I hope that you feel um, encouraged. I hope that you don't feel shame and I hope that you feel confident in the life decisions that you are making regardless of what they are. Uh, We also talk about Taylor Swift in our favorite book. So this was a fun one. Hey, if you, speaking of new moms, if you want to get the best sleep of your life, you got to check out Lagoon Pillows. Listen, if there is anything I can do to help my sleep, I'm doing it. I don't care if it costs a million dollars and this pillow does not cost a million dollars, but I'm just saying there are no limits on what I will do to get good sleep and having a good pillow matters. So you go to lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay, fill out the two minute sleep quiz, and you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. I spell Lindsay the right way, you know, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And uh, that'll get you 15% off your first order. And if you love your partner, why don't you grab them a pillow too? Because if you're sleeping good, you want them to sleep good too. That's lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Sarah Levy. All right, friends, welcome to the podcast. Today, our guest is Sarah Levy. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. Sarah is a brand new mom, three months old. You're a three-month-old mom. <laughs> I feel like I am three months old. I, <laughs> I am, yes, the newest of new moms. How are you? I'm okay. I, um, <laughs> you know, I was just talking to a friend about this this morning. You can intellectualize having a new baby all day long and get all the stuff and read all the books and talk to a million people and then you go through it and it's nothing can prepare you I feel like I was all the cliches like reborn and you know it's just it's it's a lot and um those for that fourth trimester like those first 12 weeks really just kicked my butt um but he is, yeah, he's a little over three months now, and we're getting some sleep, uh, which is a game changer. So we're feeling, I'm feeling good in this moment, I'm feeling better than I was two months ago, for sure. Let me just tell you, the first is the hardest. Yeah, that's what I've heard. It's like everybody always asks me, like, was it harder to go to from one to two, two to three, three to four? And I'm like, no, the first one was the hardest because you've never done it before. Totally. And I I know we'll get into like alcohol and sobriety and all of that, but like in a lot of ways, these first couple months with a new baby have felt like being newly sober, um, just in the sense that like everything 
is changing. Everything is different and it's all so new. Um, and right, there's that learning curve. Like you, I've never done this before and you can probably hear him in, in the background now. Yeah, it's all brand new. There's such, there's, a, there's such a steep learning curve, you know? I've never, I feel like such a newcomer. I've never done this before. And um, everyone says that it definitely is is the hardest to to go from zero to one because you, you just, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you know, I was leaving the gym the other day and there was this mom wrangling two kids, I think probably like an eight-month-old and maybe like a two-and-a-half-year-old or something. And, you know, I'm leaving the gym. My kids are at school or whatever. I'm all by myself. But there were so many years that I spent hauling kids to the gym. I would get my oldest to school and haul the other three to the gym. And I was like, I'm already that mom. Like, I'm already Mm -hmm. the mom that's here. And this woman struggling with her kids was probably like maybe thought I didn't have kids or thought, you know, who knows what she thought. But I almost made that like comment that moms have made to me for years like, oh, I've been there or whatever, but I just smiled and told her she was doing a good job or something. But yeah, Yeah. it's just, it's weird to even be talking to you right now, thinking of myself sitting in your place 11 years ago and just like all the different places I've been in those emotionally in those 11 years. Yeah. It changes your perspective on everything. And like, I'm still so new, only three months in, but like, I just am seeing moms differently. I'm seeing people differently. I'm like, not everyone was a baby at one point. Like that's kind of mind blowing to think about. Like that's so weird. Just, um, it just has turned my, my life and my perspective upside down. So that is such a like interesting thought to think about. Everyone was was a baby. I made a TikTok about this recently and it like blew up. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, like I think about this all the time, something about like changing my baby's diapers and like seeing him be so small. I now see strangers on the street and I think like (laughs) you were a baby, like you had diapers, (laughs) you wouldn't sleep for someone, like someone stayed up in the middle of the night, like, you know, rocking you. And Mm. um, it's, it's like the most basic concept, but I had Mm. never really thought about it before. Mm -hmm. I remember when I had my first baby, um, my mother-in-law would just, she said, I remember being up rocking my babies and feeling like I was the only person up in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And I that sat with me every time I rocked a new baby. But then also like in today's world, like we're so interconnected, like she probably really felt like that. Whereas like I know if I hop on Instagram, someone in California is probably still awake. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yes. And I think like podcasts like this one and, you know, mom content, like there is a lot more transparency into mm. being in the trenches with a newborn, being in the toddler stage, like bigger kids, bigger problems, right? Like all of these concepts I think have become more accessible, right? So even though I do feel alone at three o'clock in the morning when mm. I'm the only person awake rocking the baby, I know I'm not. And um, and I, I am grateful for that. Okay, we'll move on from this specific topic after this. What was your biggest surprise? I think my biggest surprise was the sleep deprivation. I knew that I was going to be tired. People talked about, oh, enjoy your sleep now. But I didn't understand the schedule with a newborn and how Mm. if they're eating every three hours and you're the one feeding them, by the time the feed finishes and the diaper's been changed and they've been burped and you put them down – you're sleeping maybe an hour-ish before it all starts again. And um, I'm not a like low sleep needs kind of gal. Like I love to, you know, I need, I need sleep to function and to feel good mentally. And I was not prepared for the like cumulative effects of that night after night after night and how it just brought me to my knees. I was just not Mm. um, my best self at all. And, um, and I, I was not prepared for like that, just like, like being exhausted to the bone with, with a new baby to take care of. It is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And again, like you, people tell you, you're going to be tired. Tired is like, oh, I only got like seven hours last uh-huh, night. Like uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I woke up to pee once. Like I'm uh-huh. a little tired. This was different. This is different. You're, it's you're really different. like 
on all day, 24 seven. I would like obsess with it with my first, I'd be like, okay, if I can do this, then maybe I can get three hours here. But then I would obsess so much that I couldn't fall asleep. Yes. Yes. And like, on a car ride even, like normally where I'd like kind of fall asleep if we were driving two hours, I like my body wouldn't let me because I was like so obsessed with being able to fall asleep. So mm-hmm. then as as I piled on the kids, I think by the time I got to my third, I was kind of like, you just have to let it go. And you can't, you're going to be tired like for a long time. <laughs> and you you can't, yeah. the, the less I obsessed over it, the better I got at le- being able to fall asleep. But man, it was a journey. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in that right now. Just like overstimulated brain uh-huh. constantly going. And I think just, again, like I've heard that from people that when it's your second or your third, like you you know that it's a season of life. You know it's temporary. But I think because it's my first, I'm still in the like, okay, well, I need to get this done. I, get, I haven't really let go, I think, mm. um, and um, accepted how temporary the stage really is. It feels like it's forever, even though I know it's not. This is a good segue to alcohol because for me, I know that in, in these last 10 years, there's something that has made my sleep a lot worse and that's alcohol. <laughs> I, I bet. mean, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, there's just a stark difference in, in when I have a drink and when I don't have a drink and wine specifically, man, whoo, that'll keep yeah. me up. Let's share a little bit about your story. You have a book mm-hmm. called Drinking Games and you know more than anybody listening right now how big this is right now. Yes. And you've been on this journey for six years. Yes. So yeah. maybe share a little bit about your story with just totally quitting. And that's a big question. There's a big story No, there. for sure. Yeah. Um, and you're like – we're connecting in this stage of life where I feel like I'm restarting all over again in so many ways. Mm. But, you know, something that I have come back to during this time is, oh my God, I'm so grateful I'm sober. Because if I was drinking, just the way that I drank, it would be a complete disaster. I cannot imagine, right? Like I would be having wine when I finally put the baby down and then the sleep that I am getting would not be restorative. And I can't imagine waking up and parenting with a hangover again, just because like that was my experience. I never drank without waking up with a hangover the next day, but a little bit more about me. Like you said, I'm a writer and the author of drinking games, which is a memoir and essays, uh, tells the story of my relationship with alcohol and, um, what happened when I got sober in my twenties, I was living in New York city at the time, which is where I'm from. Um, big work hard, play hard culture there. And I, you know, I, I liked to party. Like that was how I drank. And I was a blackout drinker, which is sort of how I thought everyone drank. I thought that everyone just kept going and going and going until they stopped forming memories and had lost chunks of time and then woke up the next morning or came to later that night um, with no memory of what had been happening to them. Turns out that's like not how everyone drinks. That's how I drank. That's how my brain and and body process alcohol. Um, And I drank like that for my college years and and my 20s in in New York. And, um, you know, I just thought that I had to figure out how to have alcohol be a part of my life, even Mm. once it started getting messier. You know, I uh, eventually learned, okay, not everyone blacks out. Not everyone wakes up the morning after going out for drinks and has a horrible hangover or has to cancel plans or doesn't remember who they texted or who's mad at them. Like it started to become clear that that was a a me problem, um, not necessarily like an everyone thing. And so I spent a lot of time trying to moderate my drinking. I spent a lot of my twenties really obsessing over, okay, like I have to have this substance in my life. I have to be able to drink on a date or be able to drink, you know, at a dinner with friends. So like, how do I figure out a way to make it work for me? And after a lot of trial and error, I had to just admit, like, it doesn't work for me. I cannot drink and, and have the type of life that I want to have. You know, I, I really, once I start to drink, something happens in my brain where it's very hard for me to have just one. I very rarely was having half a glass of wine or one glass of wine. It was always two, three, four onward. And in order to, you know, be the kind of 
person that I wanted to be, I had to eliminate alcohol completely. And so when I made that decision in my late 20s, my life really started to change. Yeah, I think about this a lot. I think about alcohol way too much, you know, and I've had a couple of people on the podcast talking about it. Um, and one of the women I talked to, like, she was like, just the amount of brain space it was taking up in my life. When am I going to have a drink? What time, what time should I be done by? All, all these questions to just like, and, and I'm, I'm a very calculated drinker. Like, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to have a drink, it needs to, to be before six. That can be a good thing. Because if it's 7.30 and I haven't had a drink yet, I'm so obsessed with my sleep. I'm like, not having a drink, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the reason I bring that up and, and my question is, is like, you know, there's this like culture now where people are going dry. I mean, you're seeing dry bars pop up, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, what is your perspective on alcohol for like for the greater culture? Like those of us who like, weren't blackout drinkers, weren't problematic with our, with things like that. Cause I had lots of friends who did that. And mm-hmm. I think at the time I thought they just drank too much. Um, and they probably were, but like, I've literally never blacked out from alcohol and I've had lots of times where I've drank a lot. So there is a chemical thing for some people, right? Yes, definitely. Okay. So like two, answers to your question. Right. Number one, um, yes, the culture around going dry, drinking less has completely shifted in the last, honestly, six years. I really feel yeah. like since I got so You're like at the early end changed. of it. Yeah. I remember being like in early sobriety and living in Brooklyn and going to bars and like there were no non-alcoholic options. It was Diet Coke, club soda, and like kind of a weird look from the bartender. And now (laughs) there are dry bars and so many like NA beverage options and it's amazing. And a lot more dialogue on social media and just in general about people who are sober curious or doing dry January, right? So I think that overall, it's a huge win and and a net positive, especially for people who do struggle the way that I did, because I think it's reducing the stigma, reducing the shame. Um, If people are more comfortable talking about it, you know, and it reminds me of like the early aughts with like Mm. therapy and mental health. And I remember being in college and having a therapist and lying about where I was going because I was ashamed. I was like, Mm. oh, I'm going to office hours or like I'm going to, you know, like no one talked about it. And now like everyone has a therapist and we don't, think twice before we talk about it. So I think alcohol and sobriety are sort of following a similar um, trajectory. And in terms of like, what do I think about alcohol just as a substance? I think that we're becoming more educated about it. Like there were, you know, there were studies that I think they're, they're finding now are a little bit outdated, right? We used mm-hmm. to think, we used to talk about how, oh, it's good for your heart mm-hmm. or it's good for your health. And now studies are showing like, any amount of alcohol is just like not great for you, right? Mm-hmm. It, it increases your risk of cancers. It is linked to a lot of health issues, not to mention it's a depressant. It doesn't make you feel good. It affects your sleep. It affects your energy, right? All the things that we're talking about. So I think that people are sort of seeing it clearly the way that we've had similar, you know, cultural moments of reckoning about things like sugar or soda or right. Like just in general, we as a culture have, opened our eyes to fast food and frozen dinners, things that we used to not think twice about, we've become more educated. That's not to say that like no one should ever drink soda. No one should ever eat candy. Mm-hmm. No one should ever drink alcohol. And um, and everyone has their own relationship to it. To your point, like you've never blacked out. So you're going to look at alcohol differently than I am, right? Or someone who maybe has like addictive tendencies. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, say, oh, I think alcohol is bad and no one should drink it. Mm-hmm. I just think that in general, we're becoming more educated about it and the effects that it does have on our body. Um, so people are just more informed about whether or not they want to imbibe as like mindlessly as we once did. And for people who do have like more of a tricky relationship to it, I think that there's just more, more space to openly say, like, I'm choosing to not have it be a part of my life. Hey, everybody, a quick break here. Come down to the Donna Marathon weekend with me in Jacksonville, Florida and support the Donna Foundation 
This is my favorite community that I've been a part of. This is my sixth year. So this is the race I've been most consistently going to over the years. And it is a race that supports breast cancer research and people walking through a diagnosis. Starts and finishes on the beautiful beaches of Jacksonville, Florida. And I can't wait. It's coming up real soon. And I hope you can join me. Just go to breastcancermarathon.com and use the code LINDSAY10, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-0, for 10% off your registration. Come join me. Drive over to Jacksonville. Fly down. It is the perfect weekend to spend in Florida in February, the weekend of February 4th. All right, friends. I hope to see you there. Message me on Instagram if you plan on going lindsayhine626, and we will for sure plan on seeing you after the race on Sunday. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Sarah Levy. I do have a tricky relationship with alcohol. I just don't black out. You know, I mean, I really do. And I think when I think about my friend groups and just, I think most of us do, those that do drink, a lot of us do at least. Um, I I hate that our culture is so obsessed with drinking though. And I don't know if that's like location, socioeconomic status, like all these things, like the people you're surrounding yourself with, but like you don't. I don't go to a party where people aren't drinking. I mean, that's just what, that's just what it is. Um, I think if I, I, I've thought about this a lot cause I'm like, if I could just not drink during the week, like I don't need to have a drink on a random Tuesday. Right. Um, but like, I really want to have a drink if I go out to dinner, like to me, that makes dinner more fun. But there's this mm-hmm. like, I mean, I felt guilty to my server if I don't order a drink because they're going to be disappointed that their bill's not higher. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, it's like in your face culture 24 uh, seven. What would you say to someone who wants to kind of like break that down and be like, I mean, you did this in your 20s when you're dating, when you're going to weddings, when you're doing, you know, life is a lot different when you're in your 20s than your 30s and 40s, really. What's your message to someone who's like, I want to go to the party and I don't want to drink, but I want to have fun and I want to laugh really hard and do all those things. It's really hard. And I've had that exact same thought of like, oh no, this like server is going to be mad at me because I'm not ordering a drink. Like that's going to affect his tip. And like, okay, so zoom out. First of all, I don't know anything about that person. They could be sober. Their mom could be sober. They could be contemplating not drinking. And like that moment, that interaction could sort of give them the the confidence that they need, whatever. So that's always me projecting and also people pleasing and thinking like, I have to drink to fit in. And, you know, so just take that off the table, I would say, because I used to have that thought as well. In terms of like going to parties and, you know, not drinking, it's hard in the beginning because it's a deeply ingrained habit that we've, most of us have formed and have clung to since we were teenagers, like adolescents, college, right? And a lot of what I talk about in drinking games is the role that alcohol played in my formative years, right? Mm. When you're 16, 17, partying with your friends, then you go to college, like you don't know who you are yet. And so you're making, you're forming new relationships and you're trying to make choices that are going to inform, you know, the next decade plus of your life. And you're doing it all while you're like heavily drinking on the weekends. And so I think there is an unlearning process. Mm -hmm. And that was very much what I experienced when I, when I got sober of, okay, how do I you know, who am I? Who do I, what do I like? What's fun for me? And I, in those early, like, you know, early weddings, early parties, it was reminding myself that I was showing up to show up for, you know, the person who was getting married, right? I was there for, you know, my friend's birthday. I didn't necessarily have to have the best night of my life every single time I went out. And um, the other thing that I had to get honest with myself about was like, maybe I don't have fun at parties. Like maybe I'm not like as, um, as much of a night owl as I thought I was. Like maybe I love cooking dinner with my closest friends and like having really good conversation. And in those situations where I feel comfortable, I'm not thinking about drinking the same way. Right. It's like, why, why am I so obsessed with having a drink when I'm out? Mm -hmm. Is it because I really like it or is it because I feel uncomfortable and I, need this as a crutch, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. it's 
asking yourself those questions, the process of unlearning and, and breaking away from that habit. And then the, the third thing is like not feeling like you need to explain to people, mm. right? At those like early dinners, early weddings, right? Like ordering a seltzer or now a mocktail, right? If you're not sitting at the table with someone, they might not even hear what your drink order is if you're at a party and you don't have to get into it. Like I felt like there was a spotlight on me and, mm-hmm. and on my glass and everyone was like going to be like, whoa, what's going on? You're not drinking. Why? And I would have to talk about it. And um, you really don't have to to tell anyone your life story. You don't know anyone anything. So um, yeah, I, I would just always remind myself of that when I was going into a situation that I didn't have to get into why I wasn't drinking. I love that. Yeah, that is so good. You know, one of the things you wrote about was once you stopped drinking, like all the things you were able to do, like your Saturdays were more full because you like weren't like feeling hungover and sluggish on the couch and all those things. And I mean, I, is this a therapy session for me? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, I know. I always like with my interviews, I'm like, it is an interview, but like on a topic like this, like I have so many thoughts and like life experiences with it, you know? Um, and when, when I read your article though, it made me think, and I've thought about this recently a lot too, like in the evenings, if I'm trying not to have a drink on a random weekday, I'm like, I'm going to go on a walk instead. Like last night I went on a walk with one of my kids. We walked like a mile and a half and that kind of like burned that desire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've thought, even though I will sit here and say like it hasn't been problematic in the sense of like blacking out and things like that, what have I not done or what have I missed because of it? Yeah. Even if it's just two drinks on a Wednesday, what did I not do because I was choosing to do that? And it's almost embarrassing. There's like shame in that because you don't want to waste your life and my 30s are gone. I just turned 40. And so you desperately want this balance, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to give up a Friday, Friday after school when I text my neighbors. I'm like, come on over. But also like that doesn't have to mean I have to have a drink, but there's that comfort in that. So yeah, I mean, there's yeah. big feelings here. Big feelings. And I think like you don't have to, we don't have to like beat ourselves up over, right? Like what did I miss and what have I not done? And I've wasted so much time because we're having this conversation now and so many people go through their entire lives and never ask themselves these Mm -hmm. questions. So I think the fact that like, you know, if you're even thinking about this or even like pausing before pouring that glass of wine, like you're doing more than a lot of people do. And instead of thinking like, you know, what haven't I, what could I have Mm -hmm. been doing when I was drinking? Something I always would think about was like, what has alcohol actually added to my life, right? Mm-hmm. Like instead of beating myself up and being like, oh, I could have been doing all this and all that, I would think to myself like, well, like is there any benefit that it's bringing? You know, like are there positive experiences? Like, yeah, I had fun, right, in air quotes mm-hmm. in, you know, my early party days. But like did I? Because like I don't really remember a lot of it and a lot of it was kind of blurry and – um is that what fun means to me now? Right. And and is it continuing to add the same thing that it maybe did in the very beginning or has it sort of like denigrated over time? Right. And have I outgrown it? And I think, um, I think framing it in that respect of like, it's just not serving me anymore mm-hmm. was more empowering than, Oh, I've been wasting all this time and I haven't been, you know, doing what I want to do. Um, so that was sort of like a helpful reframe for me. Hey, are you looking for the best vitamins for yourself and your children? Look no further than Prevenex. These are science-backed vitamins. They are excellent quality, third-party tested, clinically effective. I take their multivitamins for longevity, performance, and everyday health, and they have children's chewable multivitamins formulated to give your kids the key nutrients to support their eye health, their bone support, immune health, increased energy, improved focus. This is a no-brainer. I cannot promise that my kids are eating a well-balanced diet every single day, so I feel really good about giving them these vitamins. They're the super bites. And Prevenex donates a bottle to malnourished kids in need around the world when you buy a bottle. 
So just go to Prevanex.com and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, or another to save 15% off your first order. If you've already purchased from Prevanex before using those codes, I also have a new code because they've just launched a creatine muscle health supplement that I've been taking. Um, I've been lifting a lot and I've really been enjoying that supplement. As you age, what we want to focus on is uh, strong muscles and things not breaking down. And the creatine supplement that they have for their muscle health is really helpful in that. So if you've used my codes before and you want to try that or anything else out, as long as you have the muscle strength in your cart, everything will go 15% off. That code is Lindsay Strength. So that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y Strength. All right, friends, back to the show. Okay, so you started dating your husband a year and a half into sober life. Yes. Like, does he, he drink then? Does he now? When you guys have friends over, do you have wine at the table and you just don't drink it? Tell me about what this all looks like. Okay, so when we were introduced, my husband drank. He was a social drinker, um, you know, drank in college, drank with his friends, and he drank on all of our dates. He, we then moved in together, um, got engaged. He drank at our wedding, and um, a couple of did things that bother that happened, you? No, it never bothered me at all. I didn't care. I've never cared about other people drinking around me. It was always about like the way that I drank. Um, and I definitely would like notice if I'm at dinner with people and people are ordering a drink, like I'm paying attention to how much they're drinking and what they're drinking, but it never triggered me. I, once I made the decision to get sober, it was very much like a personal decision because I knew how alcohol affected me. And yeah, I was very, you know, my, and to his credit, like my husband asked before our first date, like, will it bother you if I drink? And, um, it really, it really didn't. Um, it was weird. It, yeah, it's weird seeing like your husband or like your close friends be drunk, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. not as fun to be sober when like everyone's oh. drunk. But um, but someone <laughs> having a couple of drinks, like no, I don't care at all. And if anything, drunk I'm, people like, are I'll so much more annoying if you're sober. Yeah, right. And like it's kind of funny at first, but then you're like, you've asked me the same thing three times. Like this is not. <laughs> like, I'm going to bed. Um, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. But I think so. Throughout the course of our relationship. COVID happened. We were quarantined together. And uh, my husband's name is Adam. I think for Adam, like being home drinking wine with a sober partner was different than like being at dinner with a bunch of people and like he's drinking and I'm not. And so he did make the decision to stop drinking about, I guess, like four years into our relationship. Um, And maybe, yeah, four or five years. And um, it was, I think, just a lot of things, you know, that we're talking about. It wasn't serving him anymore. Um, at that time, we were talking about, you know, becoming parents and like what we wanted that, you know, to look like. And um, I felt like being a sober, present parent was really important for me. And and I, I think um, ultimately he felt the same way. You know, we both like really wanted to, um, to just like be there for for our future kids and um and so now we both are sober our friends many of our friends still drink we were just with friends over new year's eve like everyone was drinking and um like i won't speak for him but i know for me like well i guess i can't speak for him because i know he feels this way too like it doesn't bother us we're comfortable being being around people who are drinking um and it it was like a surprise kind of twist in our relationship that now we're able to share this um you know experience and we both drank differently like mm-hmm. he was not a blackout drinker like me we have different stories but I think yeah being now you know in this stage of life together it um it's been cool to be able to to like talk about this with him yeah so if you guys have a dinner party what does the alcohol situation look like we'll have wine We'll tell people to... Do you buy it or do they just bring it? We don't have like a bar set up in our house, um, but we will either tell people to bring if they, you know, bring whatever you want to drink or to be honest, we haven't had a dinner party in a while because like I said, we have a three well, month you, old. So I'm, I'm like, what do old. we do? What do we do when we socialize? <laughs> um, yeah, we would maybe just tell people to bring what they want. Like I, I don't think either of us would be like 
in a liquor store, like getting things to like make right. a like special cocktail. But we would have no problem with people like bringing beer, bringing wine, whatever they want to drink. Um, okay, so you talked about role of alcohol in the formative years. I'm curious about your upbringing, like with your parents mm. and alcohol. So my parents are totally normal drinkers, which is another reason why I thought that like I didn't have a real problem for a long time. And I felt like I didn't qualify for sobriety because I thought like you had to have mm-hmm. a parent who was an alcoholic and have that be your story. Um, my dad is French, so he's very he has a very European relationship with alcohol. We okay. grew up with like wine, like when my grandparents were visiting, wine at lunch, you know, and uh-huh. again, like a very balanced relationship with it, which was confusing for me because that was not how I drank. And I felt like there was something wrong with me for a long time because, you know, my cousins, my uncle, like they could have a little bit of wine and like walk away. And I was like activated. Like I wanted more. I wanted to drink to get drunk. Um, And so there was that like cultural clash for Mm -hmm. for me always. But um, yeah, I grew up with you know, an open dialogue with my parents around drinking. I think probably because my dad is European, he was less familiar with like some of the like American cultural ideas about drinking. Like he had never played a drinking game before. He didn't know what like beer pong <laughs> was. Like he wasn't like taking tequila <laughs> shots. And I don't know if it's still like that in Paris today, but maybe just like his up. I don't know, maybe like just the way he was brought up, that wasn't part of his experience. And so we never really talked about that. And, um, I, I think because I, what was modeled for me was such a uh, balanced relationship with alcohol. I never really confided in my parents about like more Mm. of the heavy drinking that I started to do when I got to college and beyond. Did your parents know what was going on? Like, did they know that this was a problem? No, they really didn't. I really hid it from them. I was... Mm always very careful to make sure that like things looked good on the outside. Right. Like I was, I got into a good college. I was getting, keeping up my grades. I graduated, I got a job. Um, And I think going back to kind of this like awakening that we're all having culturally back then there was still this idea that like a young woman in her twenties couldn't really have a drinking problem as long as she looked good on the outside, right? Like I wasn't driving drunk. I wasn't showing up. I wasn't drinking first thing in the morning. I wasn't showing up wasted to family functions. Like I had it together. And so they never would have suspected. And they didn't know that when I was going out on the weekends, I was taking, you know, however many tequila shots and blacking out. Like why would I tell them that? And why would, and how would they know? And, and I do think also, like I was protecting them um, because I knew that it would be disturbing, you know, for them. Because they were always like, be careful when you go out. Like, it's so you know. scary. Yeah. Yeah. Blacking out, going out is so scary as a female, especially. Yes. Like, where where did I end up last night? Where am I right. going to end up? Right. And I think. I mean, that is terrifying. I think that like this, like Gen Z and like, you know, I guess alpha gen alpha like the 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 generations to come I think uh, will grow up with a different perspective I already have heard that like gen z drinks less they're like not into alcohol but it was a very like millennial culture thing to go out and black out and party and that was very normalized for me um in a way that you know even though my parents were very much telling me like to be careful and you know the messaging was more around driving drunk versus blackout mm-hmm, drinking. Totally. I don't think that there was a dialogue around that as much as there is now. Uh, what is your message or like what advice might you have? Advice is a hard thing, right? Because everybody's story is different. Like you mm-hmm. said, you came to this way differently than your husband. Um, but like someone who, let's let's take two scenarios. Like someone who really wants to cut back but doesn't want to give it a completely and someone who's like, I'm done. I'm just done with this. Do you have thoughts Mm. on how those people might handle it? Yes. Okay. So I'll answer backwards. For someone who's like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Great. That was me. And it was the biggest gift for me to hit that like bottom because I was just like, okay, there's no going back. I've tried it. I've tried it for years. It's not working for me. Um, And it was simple. Like for me, balance and moderating was always much harder for me than just cutting it out completely. 
Um, and so for anyone who's in that boat, I would say try to find some support, try to find a community. It was, it would have been really hard for me to do it alone. I mm. started, you know, I started with a therapist and then I did find meetings. Like there are a lot of groups now. If you're into like finding accountability, finding friends, finding a community in person, like you can find them in person. There's also a lot of virtual groups and communities. So I would say, um, if you've reached that point where you're done, that's amazing. Try to find some some support to kind of get you through it and and take it one day at a time. Like I I would never mm. have stayed sober. Like now it's over six years, but I don't think I could have done six days, six weeks if I was like, I'm never going to do this again because mm. that would have been really overwhelming. So just like one day at a time, you know, I'm not going to drink today and, um, and, and keep it simple. For anyone who's like, I want to cut back, I um, I don't think this is working for me. I think that's great. I think, like, again, trying to do some investigative work into your relationship with alcohol, paying attention to the moments when you're triggered or not triggered like in a bad way, but in the moments where you're like, oof, I really want to drink. Is it because you're feeling uncomfortable? Is it because you're feeling bad about something and you're kind of wanting to like, for me, it was always like, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to sit with this emotion. I want to numb out. And that's why I was drinking. And mm-hmm. that's probably like not like, like that's a slippery slope, right? Um, are you wanting to drink because you are eating a delicious meal and you genuinely like want to have red wine with it? Like, okay, then maybe that's the the night that you're drinking and you're not drinking the other six nights, right? Like come up with something that feels realistic and and then try it out and see how it goes. And what happened for me was I, I did do that. And I like made sort of like not rules, but like guidelines for myself where I was like, okay, I'm only going to drink on the weekend. I'm mm. only going to drink socially. I'm only going to have three drinks. And it never worked. It never, mm. ever worked. I ended up drinking more nights than not and, and blacking out. And that was how I eventually came to the the place of I know that I'm done so it took time and it took a lot of um investigating and and detective work but because I did all of that when I was when I came to the decision that I was done I knew for sure that I couldn't go back yeah the numbing thing I think that that's where a lot of us fall into that if you're if you find yourself drinking on a random weeknight at Mm -hmm. home what are you numbing because that is very different than like I'm going out to dinner, right. you know? Right, exactly. Okay, any other thoughts on this before we close out with a couple fun things? No, I mean, I love all of your questions. I think my only, my, my last thought is just, like, I'm so happy that people are having these conversations and for anyone listening, you know, you're not alone. Like, I felt really, really alone because mm. I didn't know what box I fit into with alcohol and sobriety. And, um, and it was really, it was a lonely and confusing place to be in. So, you know, I just would say like asking these questions, like talking to friends about it, like daring to message the person on Instagram who's sober, like, you know, do it. Because um, for me, like my life just really opened up when I got honest and started connecting with people about this. Love it. Okay. So I cannot believe that your husband is a Michigan football fan. Huge Michigan fan. Yes. Because we were going to record this like a month ago and we had to reschedule and so this morning I was I was getting a pedicure actually and I was like I better look and see like what's she been up to the past couple weeks I'm like oh my gosh she was at the Rose Bowl we were we were at the Rose Bowl we got my dad babysat for the day and yeah it was awesome so we went to see Michigan and Maryland Mm -hmm. and then we went to Indiana and watched them play against Iowa because I'm from Indiana, so we just drove home with everybody, and we took our big kids, and one of my friends watched our little boys. Um, we definitely looked at tickets <laughs> for the Rose Bowl and also Houston, and really thought about that. My husband taking our older two to Houston, but it's just like this is too. This is getting out of control. Like this is I too know. expensive. Yeah, your husband went, to but Michigan it's exciting. Also. He did not go to Michigan. We went to IU. We met at IU, and his. Dad is a huge Michigan football fan, and so that's just what it – literally his dad lived there as like a young adult and became this big Michigan football fan, and now my husband was like born and raised Michigan football, and our kids are like really into it too. So it's actually getting so fun because all the boys are like very into it. Yeah. I am a like former theater kid, no like 
athleticism in my blood, but the Michigan football world is really fun. I like to say like I married into the fan fandom yeah. and um, it's so cute seeing the kids and those with their parents and thinking about like our son growing up and oh, going yeah. to games and oh. we had him in his little jersey. And, um, you know, I think like what, you know, for me, like I was just saying, like community is everything and, and connection, yeah. you know, in sobriety and finding those moments of like genuine joy have been such a light since I stopped drinking. And I, that's what I really like enjoyed about the game was like, you know, oh, everyone's so like fun. go blue and it really, it felt like a, like a true community. And, and um, Adam and I both like said to each other like how cool that we were sober and we really got to remember the game because I know for me if I had been drinking like I mean I really don't know the rules still but like I definitely wouldn't have followed anything and um uh-huh. and like you know I would have just been thinking like okay I am gonna I gotta go get another beer or, like I have to pee again uh-huh. like it just would have really taken me out of the experience so definitely like there is still fun to be had in sobriety and and I would say like more so for me yeah my sister's three years sober and I actually talked to her about her journey with this on this podcast a couple of years ago. And she said she was talking about going to concerts and how that was one of the one of the things that was tripping her up because she's like, I don't want to go to a concert and not drink. And I made the comment like, oh, yeah, I mean, because like it's so annoying when you have to go to the bathroom at a concert. And she was like, no, I just realized like that's not why the concert was good. <laughs> like, yeah, it's still magical. Like, it's still really fun, you know? Yes. Um. So. Yeah, same with that. Okay, so you're also a big Taylor fan. Taylor Swift. Yes, Swifty. So we were texting before this because Sarah was putting, trying to get her baby down for a nap. And I was like, what's something fun we can do? And so I said, okay, let's do our top three favorite Taylor songs. And then I started writing mine down and I had like eight. So um, you go do one and then I'll do one. Okay, well, it's like an impossible question. I'm so I'm just gonna go with my top three favorites right now because they're always changing. So yes. my top three favorite Taylor songs at the moment are very like folklore actually. I'm really into the uh, one. Uh-huh. I play it every morning uh-huh. for my son, and it's just we love oh. it. Um, he actually was at the concert. I went to the Eras tour while I was nine months pregnant, so I like to say like he snuck in to the concert with me. Um, nice. So I love the one. I love the Last Great American Dynasty, and then I'm mm-hmm. really into um, all the like 1989 Vault tracks. So yeah, is it over now? Is one of my favorites at the moment. Mm. Okay. What so- about you? L- Love all that. I went back. I went back because I love our songs so much. Classic. You know, I mean, it's like I remember being like, was I don't know, was I like 20? I don't know. It was so long ago. Young. I was a young professional. And I remember singing that song. And um, recently I was like singing it with my nieces and stuff. And it was so fun. So our song, I love Mirrorball. I love Mirrorball. That's ever evermore right yeah mm-hmm. I love when she says that she's not like the regulars mm-hmm. I'm like I'm a regular um I love lover and I think if I had to choose a favorite album I would probably choose lover it's a really good one I I, I really love and respect that that choice I also had Archer, Betty, Miss Americana. <laughs> it's really hard. Oh. I know. I was like, I have to just cap it at top three favorites right now because I, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why the Eras tour was three plus hours. Like, it's really hard to pick just one or just three. But and, and speaking of alcohol, she supposedly gave up alcohol. She while did. She was training for her tour. Yeah, she didn't drink in prep while she was training for the tour, which like. Guys, if Taylor's taking a break from drinking, like we all should be. Okay, last question. Uh, three favorite books from 2023. Okay, so Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll, I love. Okay. Happy Place by Emily Henry. These are all like vastly different genres. Bright mm-hmm. Young Women is um, a little bit dark. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about, well, I don't want to spoil it, but. Ted Bundy's victims. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Happy Place by Emily Henry. um, More like lighthearted romance. And then The Legacies by Jessica Goodman, which is a twisty 
YA um, mystery thriller set in New York City. Okay. I cannot get into Emily Henry's writing. Really? I read Book Lovers and People You Meet on Vacation and nothing against her. I don't know, you know, because I've interviewed some authors, so I like never, Mm -hmm. you're an author, I'm interviewing you. I never want to like slam the author, but I'm just like, I just cannot get into, some people love it, but like, to me, it's like, did you read, did you read People You Meet on Vacation? I did, yeah. I didn't like the like arguing, argumentative back and forth characters Mm. seemed irritating to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's totally fair um another one then for you you might like is my last innocent year by daisy okay foreign camera she has two last names but that's a great one too okay so i have i finally read the poisonwood bible barbara king silver and now i'm reading demon copperhead so i'm excited about that Nora goes off script great book annabelle monaghan monaghan i interviewed her she Made me love the book even more. She's hilarious. I loved that book. She's like so funny and witty and smart. And like you just wish she was your neighbor. Like when I interviewed her, I was like, please, can I live next door to you? Like she's funny. Um, Everyone here is lying. Sherry Lapina. Oh, that's on my list. I haven't read that. All her books are good to me. I just fly through them because there's like, you know, there's twisty and turny and all that. Um, Yeah, that's good. How many books did you read last year? You know, I was pregnant, so a lot of my books were like they, I didn't count them because they were like baby pregnancy related oh. books. Oh, they think, count though. Okay, they count. I, my final count was fourteen, so not like my best reading year. Okay, but, yeah. yeah, they count for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, this has been super fun. Thanks for yeah. sharing your story and being like open minded about everybody's journey with this. And it's such a nuanced topic, right? Like, I don't know, everybody's got their own story with it. And I appreciate how you talk about it. Totally. I really appreciate you having me on. And it's nice to talk to you about motherhood and drinking and books and all of it. And um, it was it was so nice meeting you. It's just gonna keep getting better. Like, thanks with the motherhood. Thank you. I'm telling you it. I mean, every season, you're gonna be like, what you you have four so you wouldn't keep having you wouldn't have kept having them if it didn't get better so i'll take your word for it it's true and then when he's gonna be like two and you're gonna be like there's nothing like two is like peak cuteness you're gonna be like how are you even how do you even exist how How are are you you real yeah yeah congratulations thank you so much Lindsay. it was so nice to talk to you All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Sarah, for coming on the podcast. Uh, You can go to sarahlevy.com to learn more about her writing, her work, and everything she's doing. Go pick up her book, Drinking Games. She's Sarah L. Levy on Instagram as well. Not to be confused with the actress from Schitt's Creek. That's a different Sarah Levy. Uh, Friends, you can find me. I'm lindsayhine626 on Instagram. You can learn more about everything I'm doing with the podcast here at sandyboyproductions.com and my personal website is lindsayhine.com where links to all my training plans for marathoning and half marathoning are over there. If you like the show, leave us a quick rating and review. That's a huge help in potential new listeners finding us. Thanks for being here and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?